Hello, my name is Maiwa and welcome to Maiwa in Conversation, a podcast that aims to explore the unique perspectives of Africans. This season, I have conversations with Nigerians that are making an impact by disrupting societal and cultural norms, fighting against injustices, creating new paths and platforms, and who are showing that there are in fact limitless possibilities on the continent. On this episode, I'm talking to Billy Kiss Adebi Abiola, co-founder of WeCyclers, WeCyclers is a for-profit social enterprise that promotes environmental sustainability, socio-economic development, and community health by providing recycling services in densely populated urban spaces. WeCyclers directly addresses the problem of urban waste by creating low-cost waste management infrastructure. Billy Kiss was CEO of WeCyclers until 2017. Since then, she has been the general manager of Lagos State's Parks and Gardens Agency and is now the acting director general of Records and Archives in Lagos State. Thank you for joining me today, Billy Kiss. Hi, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'll just delve into the first question so we can just like start the ball rolling. When I was thinking about this podcast, you are one of the first people I knew I had to talk to, and that's because of how much I value the environment and worry about our environment. A lot of the time when environmental sustainability and climate change are spoken about globally, the discourse is extremely Western-centric. It discusses sustainable practices, assuming that certain infrastructure is already in place. And in your opinion, how can we discuss environmental sustainability from a standpoint that is true to the Nigerian reality? That's great. I'm, I'm glad you value the environment. I think um, we all need to, I mean, I always tell people that it's all well and good to make money and, you know, want to have a you know, fantastic business that, that is you know, huge. But at the end of the day, if we don't have an environment, you know, the, um, there's Mama Jekodomi, who's one of my mentors. He always starts many of his talks saying that, okay, can you hold your breath for five minutes? And none of us can. So at the end of the day, no matter how much money you have, you know, you cannot survive without oxygen for more than two, three, four minutes. So the environment should be number one. And, and like you said, it's interesting that a lot of the time the environmental conversation is skewed towards the West. And I think it's because we don't really have that many voices mm. from Nigeria that are speaking on behalf of the environment and, and trying to be champions of the environment. So I think once we can do that, more of that, um, definitely have more stories to tell. Pollution in Lagos is a rapidly growing problem. And for us who live here, it seems as though we can't escape rubbish. In your experience as CEO of Recyclers, a position you no longer have, um, why is this the case? So I wouldn't say that the government can't handle it. I think the government is, you know, has a lot of, you know, they've done a lot of great work managing waste. But I would say that when you look at the demographics of countries like Nigeria, um, over 70% of Nigerians live in poverty. So the classification of that is people that, you know, earn less than $2 a day. Um, you have, you know, in Lagos alone, over 70% of Lagosians or about 70% of Lagosians are living in slums, um, you know, low-income communities. Um, there are so many competing priorities, you know, for, you know, for, for governance. You're talking about providing people with water, roads, housing, security, so many, um, you know, challenges. Um, and, and at the same time, there's also big issues, you know, I would say like just food security, you know, things like that. 
Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's like you have so many competing priorities and you have limited resources. Um, just to give you an example, of, and I think this is something that is a common denominator for many African countries. Um, you have a situation whereby, you know, when you look at, compare a country, a city like Lagos to a, a city that is a similar size. So I'll give you an example. Lagos is about 22 million people. Um, and you, you look at a city like New York. New York, I think, is about 8 million people. Um, when you talk about the waste generation, it's about the same. Lagos generates about 22,000 tons or 17,000 tons a day. Um, New York is probably similar because they are more affluent. The, the budget mm. for the city of New York is many times over the budget. So, so Lagos State government budget for waste is, is, is minuscule. When you, when you um, compare that to a city like New York. So, of course, you're going to have a situation where the waste is not being collected as efficiently. Mm-hmm. And then you, you look at a situation where the, in, in those countries, they have infrastructure. So they have roads, they have people, you know, simple thing as people understanding how to dispose of waste is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, because every average citizen in these countries, where, when the children are in elementary school, they teach them that this is how you throw away trash. You don't litter. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they teach children in nursery school in many of these countries. In, in countries like Nigeria, are we doing that? Mm. You know, you, you can't expect a grown person that has never been told the right thing to do to do the right thing. You know, you have to tell them and teach them, you know. So, so something as simple as that is a huge stumbling block when you multiply that um, across the, the entire population. So those are some of the challenges that that are in place that make it many, many times harder to manage waste in, in a country like Nigeria. So and I think that's really why um, WeCyclers, uh, a company like WeCyclers is important because you kind of, what we tried, we did when we started WeCyclers was we try to cut through all of those issues, like issues of, of bad road network. Well, you don't really need, um, you know, if you want to use a truck, probably that's a problem, but we are dealing with bad roads. You use, you know, we use bicycles, tricycles, we, you know, in terms of people's knowledge and people's understanding and also the poverty issue, we provided inc- incentives, cash incentives. So I think we have to, in Africa, we, we cannot expect results when we're not putting in hmm. innovation around the issues and the, the unique issues that we're facing. I think it's really interesting that you bring up education and I suppose kind of societal norms around rubbish disposal. I've been recycling with WeCyclers for about two years now. And I know that with the people who work in my house, um, whether it be our cleaners or um, our guard, it was really hard to, to, to teach people how to recycle, to say that, no, no, this plastic bottle, we're going to recycle this or even like pure water sachets or whatever, just put it in the recycling because it's something that's just not the norm at all. And so, yeah, I completely agree that education is important because I've seen people who will drink a bottle of water and will just throw it on the street. And our residents association has created um, or rather has made available lots of rubbish bins. So there's literally no excuse as to why you should be littering, but it's still something we see because throwing things away properly just isn't the norm. So with everything you've said being the case, do you think the problem of urban waste can be solved in Lagos in the near future? And how do you think this will come about? 
That's a great question. I think absolutely the problem can be solved. It's a very easy problem to solve if we're just pushing the right levers. Um, like you mentioned, you talked about how, um, you know, in your community, it's like there's trash bins everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think it's enough to just provide bins. People need to be educated. People need to, there needs to be an awareness around this. And I think in, in a country, in a city like Lagos, I think one of the major things that um, we can kind of tap into um, is, is this issue, it's like a problem, but it's also an opportunity mm-hmm. um, of people that are, you know, of lower income people. I don't want to say poor people, but I'll say lower, lower income people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that many times you see that a lot of people that are un- underemployed or unemployed. And I think it's, you know, for Lagos to really um, solve this issue once and for all and make it a you know, fantastic um, success story, um, we need to link um, poverty to waste collection mm-hmm. and create a way where every piece of rubbish that is recyclable has an intrinsic value, has a value that people can redeem. So, you know, when you go to other countries, there's the deposit return system where you buy a bottle or a drink and then they charge you like five cents. Like in California, it's like five cents. And then you get that five cents back when you bring the bottle. Hmm. So it's that simple. Um, you know, I think, and that's really what we said as does, is that what we are doing is we give people value for the waste that they are recycling. So for every kilogram of waste that they recycle, um, they will get points on their phone. So I think that, you know, for Lagos, they should, I actually wrote an op-ed about this. Um, Lagos should create a, um, a, a fund. Mm-hmm. So there's something called, and this, there's, this is something that is already, there's a law that has already been passed by the federal government where it's called the Extended Producer Responsibility Law. And what that says is that every producer needs to pay money to ensure that their packaging is collected. They are responsible for that. Mm. But the, the government has not yet started um, enforcing that law. So what Lagos can do to key into this, I'll give an example. So Lagos is 20 million people. I'll give you an example of plastic bottles. Um, in Nigeria, we are generating, I would say, 70,000 tons of plastic bottles every year, right? Out of the 70,000 in Lagos, we're looking at maybe half of that. So let's say 30, 30 to 35,000 tons. Mm. So if we can extrapolate and say, okay, Lagos has this amount of rubbish that is being produced on per ton, right? We can, there's a number for that. So we can extrapolate that number. We, we can sit down with these uh, manufacturers and uh, agree on a number. And then we can say, okay, for every kilogram of this waste that is being generated into the environment, this waste, this is the value that the, the manufacturer needs to contribute mm. to the fund. So this would be a, pri- it's be a, you know, a well-managed fund that is being managed by a proper board that has credentials. So it's a private NGO fund, you know? And so what, what would happen is that people like um, collectors, like recyclers, like um, recycle points and others that are collecting waste in various parts of Lagos, they will provide reports and say, okay, we've collected this number of waste and they will be able to access money from this fund to pay people. Mm-hmm. And then the government will say that, you know what? Recycling is is um is, is compulsory. So every Lagosian must recycle. From this fund, they can provide um, collection centers. I wouldn't 
go out and say bins because we have to look at how we in um, Nigeria are behavior patterns. Mm-hmm. So you, if you put, for instance, a, a trash can in a community where you know people don't really understand, they'll just turn it into something else. So there are, there, are, there are ways where you can actually go into various communities and you know activate recycling recycling collection in those communities. So for instance, in, in an estate that is organized, you can put bins there. Mm. Probably in a low-income community, you may need something different, a different solution. So there are different solutions for different demographics of people. So that fund will actually fund all these things. And so as not to make it difficult or, or you know too, too much stress for these companies, it will be done in a very gradual way. Mm. So for instance, you will say, okay, our target. We'll get there in 10 years. In year one, let's do 10%. Mm. Let that be our target. You know, and you can do this you know, over time. Mm. And what you're going to see, when people start to see that, ah, if I can pack this waste, I will get money. People are going to key in. You know, the, the average Nigerian's entrepreneurship um, spirit will kick in and people are going to really massively do this. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've already seen this on a, on, a, on a smaller level, you know, in communities where we cycle as up. When they hear that, ah, if you collect this waste, you're going to get money. The way and manner in which they recycle is, you know, it's mind-blowing. Mm. You know, so I, I think Lagos can definitely achieve. You know, and in a couple of years, you know, you don't even have to get to 100%. Within three, four years, you will start to see the difference. Mm. You know, and, and if I, if I can continue, you know, like there's a value chain that will kick in. You know, there's a circular, everybody's talking about circular economy, circular economy. There are companies that are waiting to establish factories that use this waste, but they are not able to do that because we've not reached that point of collection volumes that makes it um, meaningful for them. Mm-hmm. So once we're able to start doing that, and people start saying, that, ah, Lagos, ah, Lagos is collecting this amount of waste. Yeah. Let me even put my pants in Lagos. And use this waste to create a new. You can use, for instance, you can use pure water sachets to make pipes. Construct, and you know, according to um, uh, you know the WF mm. in in developing countries, we've not even gotten up to, up to half of our housing that we need in the developing world. So the housing market um, is is going to be very very hot very soon. So those are things that we can actually, you know, propel with a very good, you know, um, policy framework in place. You talked about the importance of this government-backed fund and how it would incentivize people to um, collect recyclable waste. And in an interview, or rather profile I read of you um, on She Leads Africa, you talked about how we cyclists' partnerships with the Lagos State Government have been critical to the company's development. So with this being the case and in your experience of working with and for the state government, do you think intervention by Lagos state government is necessary in order to control the issue of urban waste or do you think it can be completely private sector led? Oh, that's a great question. I would say that, um, you know, in the fund that I'm, I'm, envis- I'm envisioning, there should be government participation but there should also be private sector. So it should be something where the industry it has a voice. Um, so it's not just government, um, you know, dictating everything because that there should be some balance. So I would say that 
um, the government needs to initiate because in my experience as a, as a government official, um, the government is very important because, you know, the government provides a platform. And my view is that, look, the government provides a platform through policy. Mm-hmm. So there's issues, there's problems. The government may not have all the funds necessary to solve those problems. Or the government may not even be the best person to implement the solution because government's job is governance. It's not, you know, you know, other things. So what the government should do is provide policy, provide, you know, because what I, what I see is that if government doesn't make it a requirement, doesn't make it compulsory, it may not be something that is done as quickly as is needed. So there should be government saying, look, there's an urgency here. This is what we want. This is the standard we want. This is how we want it. We think it should be done. But then the private sector should provide also an equal um, contribution in terms of saying, okay, this is how we think it should happen. Um, There should be oversight, independent oversight. There should be transparency. So every citizen should see how things are being, you know, done. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if this is done, and if there is, if this is done, there will be a huge, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be huge. You know, and I think, it, it, like, like just putting on my government hat, there is a lot of pressure on government mm-hmm. to do everything, but government cannot do everything. You know, people say, oh, the government should do this, government should do that. But there is so much the government, you know, kind of has to balance. So definitely it should be government-led, but managed and supported by private sector. Mm. Mm. I hope that answers your question. Yes, yes, thank you. And in a lot of, or rather when, when I hear people talk about the issue of plastic pollution and looking at plastic specifically, because I think that's what's most visible to us, seeing plastic bottles on the streets, in gutters, there aren't really any conversations about cutting plastic. We're not really talking about making Lagos a zero waste society. And considering that on one hand, and also considering on the other, that plastic seems to be an integral part of life in Lagos due to, I can say, maybe economic issues where uh, substances like glass are just too expensive for many people. And so people would rather buy plastic, for example, plastic plates, plastic cups. Do you think Nigeria can be included in conversations about a zero waste society? That's a good, I don't know if zero waste is practical. Or rather, not zero waste. I meant zero plastic, sorry. <laughs> zero plastic society. Okay, I also don't think zero plastic is practical because you said something about, okay, the economic side where, you know, it's cheaper to buy things in plastic or sachets, especially given how um, tough the economy is right now. People can't afford to buy things, you know, in those big packages. But also... You know, the more affluent, the more the more people live in cities, and in the future of the world is going to be cities. The more we are living in cities, where we're all living together, we all have to go to work, we all have to commute. It's much more convenient to eat on the go. It's much more convenient to buy something that's prepackaged and eat it at your desk. We're going to always have plastic. What I would say is that when we're thinking about the plastic that we are using, and I'm and I'm happy to see that. You know, some companies are thinking about that. Um, just to give you a very simple example um, of how 
a simple tweak can mean a lot. You know, Coke recently announced that um, the Sprite that we're all drinking, you know, Sprite was formerly in green bottles. Yes. Right? They're now see-through. Now they've announced uh, and they've put into place where Sprite now, they're now see-through. That is huge. Really? <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. Yeah, it's huge. So green is not as valuable as white because there are market forces and that's why I think private sector is important because, you know, in terms of, of value, if I were to sell green bottles to a recycler, they would pay less. In some instances, they, would, they wouldn't even want to buy it because they would have to spend more money to use it in, because they have to, because of the color, you know, you don't really have many options for usage, mm. right? But if something is white, you can use white in any color. You know, it's not going to be as expensive. So having white bottles now with Sprite automatically makes that Sprite bottle, when it's at the point of recycling, it makes it much more valuable. So, so that, that, that little tweak helps a lot. So I think, you know, I'm, I also see comp- companies like Unilever are also doing these kinds of things. So if companies, I think, can start to think about, okay, what I'm creating this packaging, how is it going to be used? What is the end of life value of this packaging? You know, that in itself is huge. So for instance, Unilever is putting a lot of effort into um, providing, um, you know, markets. Mm for their packaging. So it's, they're not, it's not just enough to say um, this, pack, this, this plastic, I'm going to sell it and move on. Or, you know, they are looking for, okay, how can I connect you, this recycler, with this person that is, um, a, is buying this, you know, making this packaging and how can I use it in, in my product so that there's a circular economy. So when, for instance, you buy something, you recycle it, I can buy it again and, you know, use it again so so those are really really crucial and critical so it's safe to say that the the more realistic goal is looking at a circular economy and looking at plastic that can always be recycled as opposed to banning plastic and not using plastic at all absolutely i mean i would i I try not to buy plastic if I, if I can avoid it, mm-hmm. I would love, you know, there's this little shops, there's shops now um, that you, you can just take your big tub. Um, I think we have them in California and some of these other more environmentally, yes. you know, for places where you can take it, you want to buy shampoo, you don't have to buy the shampoo in the bottle. You can take your big glass um, container and fill up your shampoo, fill up your soap, mm. you know. I would really love to have those kind of situations in cities like Lagos because that would help a lot. But then you think about it also, like, you know, there is also a carbon footprint impact, you know, so it's probably not efficient for carbon, you know, you know, for the carbon footprint of some of these things. But I would say, like you said, yeah, absolutely. Um, the secular economy is what we should key into. Because the secular economy is the, more, is the most realistic and it's actually, mm. it's actually the most doable. Because if we say, oh, zero, zero plastic, I don't think it's possible and it's something where we might lose momentum. Um, just to give you an example, I always throw these numbers out. I was reading this report and they said since the 1950s when we started using plastic, only... Um, 9% of all plastics produced have been recycled. 
12% has been incinerated, and then 79% is still lying around in, in the environment. So there is a huge deficit. Plastic. That's just scary. It is very scary. So there's 79% of all plastics ever produced is lying around. I, I was really like listening to your answer and talking about those stores where you can bring your own reusable um, glass containers to buy things like shampoo or things like rice. Um, it triggered a thought in me and a question that is off script, but um, in your experience with everything you've done with recyclers, do you think Nigerians are ready for that? Do you think Nigerians or rather Lagosians are ready to take recycling and a more sustainable lifestyle more seriously? Because I am a recycling nut and I hate plastic. So when I go to different grocery stores, I'm that person that brings my own bags and Nigerians in shops, they will bag your toothpaste in one bag, then they'll put rice in another bag, then they'll put, um, I don't know, oil in another bag. Everything is in another bag. And I'm literally just like, the average Nigerian has so much plastic, like a bank of plastic in their kitchens from shopping. And when I bring my own bags, security stop me because they say they're worried that I might steal and put things in the bags I've brought which is just ridiculous. And I'm sure this is the case because people don't have to pay for plastic bags. So you can just have, you can take a hundred plastic bags home if you want. But with this being the case, do you think Nigerians are ready to go through the inconvenience of bringing your own glass container or your own plastic bags or tote or whatever? Are Nigerians ready to take recycling seriously as a lifestyle? I think if we're, we're, if we're honest with ourselves and sincere with ourselves, you know, one of the challenges we have as Africans, I can say this comfortably, I hope I don't offend people. Even if I do offend, this is how I feel. I feel like we don't really value our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that when we start to live in, in this different thing that is different from, from what we are meant to be, we start, um, you know, it, it becomes difficult. So I'll give you an example. Moi Moi, right? Mm-hmm. The original Moi Moi that we are supposed to, eating is from made from leaves. That's the best moi moi. That's the, you know, mm-hmm. but nowadays we're using sin moi moi being made in plastic because it's more convenient, you know? But if I think as Nigerians in our culture, in our history, if you look at our history, we've always been very sustainable. We're very sustainable people. You know, our culture is a sustainable culture, but we have to kind of go back to that, you know? It's not, it's not, um, I don't think it, it's normal for, you know, you see people, like you said, buying all these nylon bags and things like that. It's because that's what, what obtains in other places and it's been brought in here. Mm-hmm. But in the, in those other places, they've realized that, oh, this is not good. Let's see how we can solve it. But we are not seeing that. We are not hearing those things. So I think we need to kind of promote our own traditional, you know, normally when, you know, in those days, I don't know if it tells you how old I am, but like when you go to the market, you know, you take, yeah, I'm a young lady, but in those days, like when you go to the market, you take, you take your raffia basket, mm. you buy all your things in the raffia basket, right? That is our culture. You know, where did nylon come from? Mm. So I think we need to look at and research into, into our history and see how, um, you know, these things are, are aberrations and kind of promote 
what is right. Mm. Um, with, with reference to the general public perception, I think um, that's something that can be changed. Um, you know, like I'll always go back to recyclers as an example. When we first started, um, you know, I was just having a chat with um, some of our customers and she, this lady was saying now that, you know, she, when, she, when we first started recycling, she just recycled because she wanted money. But then when she started to see that her gutters are getting cleaner, there's less mosquitoes because the, the gutter is flowing. She now started recycling because she wanted to keep the community clean. So people have to mm. see and understand why things are happening. You know what I mean? So like people, so she, she now said, look, I don't even care if you give me anything no, that I'm doing this because less incidence of malaria in my family. The gutter is flowing, so it's not smelling as much. You know, so she now, she was able to connect the dots. Mm. And she, she was an avid recycler. So if we're able to connect with people on different levels, you will see that people will do the right thing. And I want to briefly discuss Recycler's um, business model because the thing that stood out to me about Recycler's the most, and I, you know, I should actually be a brand ambassador because <laughs> I stay posting videos of me dropping off my recycling at your Jack on Day um, collection point <laughs> on Instagram. Oh. <laughs> and oh. I really feel connected oh. to Recycler's because <laughs> I will. <laughs> I feel connected to your company because it's so community driven and community oriented. And I think that's really key to tackling these issues, especially around environmental sustainability. And my question is, how can for-profit social enterprises that focus on sustainability build business models that are centered around communities? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I think the reason why Recyclers was community focused was that we just realized that look, number one for logistics, it was just easier to distribute the logistics network and do it in community by community. Hmm. But also we just realized that look, if we want this thing to work, you know, we have to make sure that people see that this is a collective thing that we have to do. And I think it's, it's really, is the incentives. It's like, how can I see the value? from from this and for like social enterprises that are, that are that want to be um you know community focused it's how can people see because anybody um, you know they always talk about Maslow's new uh, hierarchy of needs but everybody wants to do the right thing at the end of the day once they've been able to eat once they've been able to find safe shelter for themselves and their families people want to do the right thing they want to be part of the solution they don't want to be part of the problem so I think it's being able to let people see, um, you know, see how their actions are important and how and why it's important for them to do the right thing. So, you know, you know we cycle staff, you know, they, they have, um, you know, there was an instance where there was, they were talking, um, how do you need safety training? Because they are very big on safety. And, um, you know, the, one of the staff was saying, you know, of course he said, look, I'm not making that much money. You know, but I'm happy that I'm my job is something that is helping the environment because I know mm -hmm. that if this trash was not collected, this mountain of trash was not collected, I know I can't even imagine how the community would be like. So for him, he was having he took pride in his job because he knew that his job was helping the environment. You know, so people have to see 
and connect themselves and see themselves in this chain, this you know virtuous chain. Hmm. You know, and as social entrepreneurs, it is so difficult. It is a difficult thing to be a social entrepreneur because you know it's like you're valuing people, but the profits are important. And sometimes you have to sacrifice profits in the short term just to do the right thing. Mm. You know? So it's really, really hard, mm. but I think it, it's very, very important. And do you see any positive changes in waste management, recycling, and environmental sustainability in Lagos now compared to when you first started Recyclers in 2012? Absolutely. <laughs> So there are like two or three things that I look at that tell me that we've made, even though it's a small change, we've made a difference. And, and, I, and I like to think that, you know, it's kind of like you're building momentum and we're trying to tip the scale. And we're almost at that tipping point where all the efforts, all the hard work is going to result in a, sh- a shift a gravitation and like a complete shift and things will now make sense. You know, on one level, I see, you know, in some of these communities, you see people, more and more people collecting plastics and waste. More and more people understand that these things are important. You know, it's like, you know, if you're taking like pictures, you'll see there's a change, like time change, where more and more people are, are seeing this. When we go into new communities are we cyclers, more and more people know already that after, ah, this is dirty the wool. Waste has value. Mm. They already know. In those days, like there was no understanding. There was zero. We literally had to go from house to house telling people this thing is important. This thing, you know, so like it's it's slowly happening. Mm. And then I would say the third thing is that there are more and more people coming into this space. There are more and more entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs that really love the environment and they want to do something. So you see, when you, all of these efforts come together, they definitely, I know, like I'm always, I can feel it. Like I, I don't have a, um, you know, like factual thing, apart from the fact that I know that, you know, when we talk to people that are buying waste, they say, oh, they're collecting more tonnage. So those are, those are things that, are, that exist. But I will tell you that I know that very soon, we're going to to get to a point where, you know, the environment, you know, recycling is going to be widespread, and the environment is good is going to, um, you know, be play, you know, a crucial role hmm. for us. And my last question in this section of our episode is: How do you want to see the waste management slash recycling ecosystem evolve in the near future? I would say that. Um, the ecosystem is, is still fairly new, but it's gone. It's coming a long way, like I said earlier. Um, but I want to see more, you know, you know my dream, when, I, when I, people ask me, what do you dream for recyclers and for other companies? I would say I, I dream to just like everywhere I go, I want to see trucks, purple trucks, <laughs> <laughs> of recyclers trucks moving around. Because <laughs> I know it's working. But I know recyclers are the only company, so the other people recycling. Mm-hmm. But I would say things like waste to energy. Waste to energy is a big one. If we're able to 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 have, um, you know, because we have so much, you know, waste that is going to the landfills, you know, can we become countries like Sweden, countries like Singapore, where every waste, there's no waste that is wasted. There's waste that is used for waste to energy, 
there's organic waste to use in fertilizer. You know, that for me mm. is, is the dream. Amazing. Thank you. So we're going to move on to um, the rapid fire questions. And it's, it's just fun and silly. I'll ask you um, to choose between two things. And yeah, you just choose one. And I do this just so listeners can get a better understanding of you as a person outside of waste management and recycling. <laughs> so um, I'll also throw in... I'll throw in a couple of random recycling questions as well. So are you ready? <laughs> yeah, ready, <laughs> ready, ready. <laughs> okay. So my first is reuse or recycle? Hmm. Reuse. Urban or rural? Urban. Government partnerships or private sector partnerships? Government partnerships. Night owl or early bird? Early bird, for sure. Beach holiday or city break? Ooh, beach holiday. Podcast or radio? Podcast. Yay! <laughs> Twitter <laughs> or Instagram? Ah, that's a hard one. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's hard. Okay, Instagram. Instagram. I have to pick Instagram. Ban single-use plastic or simply recycle? Ban single-use plastic. I agree. <laughs> Informal waste collection networks or one large centralized system? Informal waste collection networks. Do you want to read the book or simply watch the movie? Read the book any day. Fried rice or jollof rice? What's the first one? Fried rice or jollof rice? That's why I asked you what's the question. There's only jollof rice. There's no, there's no fried rice. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather travel by plane or by road ah it depends ah, definitely by plane should recycling be optional or mandatory 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 there should be fines if you don't recycle phone calls or text don't call me text me and lastly reduce or simply reuse reduce Thank you. So in this final section of the episode, I like to discuss the three texts that have shaped the way you think. I say text because it doesn't have to be a book. Some people have talked about songs. Some people have talked about quotes, poetry. So yes, anything in the written form that has helped shape the way you think and who you are as a person today. I'll say the first one, my father used to always tell us when we were young, like he used to always repeat it to us and said, all that you do, do with your heart. Things done by half are never done well. He always used to tell us when we were young. And, and that became something that I kind of held on to. So it's a big part of my life. Um, the second one I would say is don't ask for permission. It's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. So instead of waiting for people to say, oh, you can go ahead and do this, just do it. And even if, if you mess up, it's, you know, just say, look, I'm sorry, then just wait around. And most times you find that when you go ahead and take that risk, mm. it's not really, it's not gonna, you're not going to get a bad result. So that, that definitely worked for me for recyclers. Because <laughs> if we had stuck around waiting for people to say, go ahead and do this, do that, and do that we wouldn't have made um, as much inroads as we did. 
And then the third one, I want to say a book because um, I don't want to just say only quotes. I would say, <laughs> uh, actually, I want to say a quote. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> now I didn't think about bite size, bite size, but I would say, and that's the way I'm shaping my life right now. Um, you know, there's, you know, Naval. Naval is like a, he's a popular angel investor mm. and he's on Twitter. So I read, I read all his tweets. And, you know, he's helped me think a lot about um, how we can just live meaningful lives. And one of the things that um, he said is, look, in life, you should be doing only four things. I think it was never that said that. Uh, if, he did, if it wasn't him, I'm sorry, but I, I think it is him. Um, the first is you should be learning, earning, relaxing, or exercising. So, those are the four activities we should always be doing. If you're not doing any of those four things, then take it out, take it out of your life. You should be learning, earning, um, relaxing, or exercising. I love that because I think now people are always asking how to live a more fulfilled life. And it always makes me happy when you hear responses that are this simple because your life doesn't have to be larger than life to be one that is fulfilling and one that makes you happy. It can literally be as easy as making sure everything you do speaks to speaks to something that you think is interesting or, or valuable, for example, relaxing or exercising or learning. So yes, thank you for those quotes. I also love um, your dad's quote as well. Um, putting in everything you have into everything you do. I think that's just so, so, so important. And it also means that you can say no to things because you know that if you can't give them 100%, then there's no point doing them. Absolutely. And, and you just know that, look, it's, you, you have no excuse not to do your best. No excuse. You know, so, you know, even if it's like, oh, you're an intern, or it's not your company, you know, you should always do everything with your heart. Every, every time. Mm. I was going to say that, um, you know, when you said it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Um, if you have children, I hope they listen to this. <laughs> and then quote you on that one. Day. <laughs> like, um, I'm sorry. I, I don't think I had to ask for your permission. <laughs> So yeah, when you said that, I was like, your children are absolutely. <laughs> oh God, I have three children. My children, they know, like, I'm very particular. Like, if you want to take something, like, just ask first. So I know, like, I'm kind of going against <laughs> what I've been teaching them, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they don't hear this part. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so, so much for being on this episode today with the shaky Lagos Wi-Fi trying to stop us but thank you so much for this conversation it was it was a pleasure i really enjoyed myself thank you for having me mayowa to find out more about recyclers visit www.recyclers.com you can find billy kiss on twitter at billy kiss that's b-i-l-i-k-i-s-s you can find me on Instagram where I'll be reading and reviewing books at Maya underscore reads. Thank you for listening.